Before we dive in this morning, I want to take a moment to pray uh, for our friends in Texas, uh, those who have been affected by the uh, recent weather. And uh, we who live and have lived for any length of time on the South Carolina coast, we know what it's like to be, have our lives disrupted because of weather. So let's pause for a moment before we dive in and pray for those who are in Texas. Would you join me this morning? Father God, I pray for those uh, families and the people who uh, God in Texas and Oklahoma and God even down into Mexico, uh, God the southeast, uh, who were affected by this recent storm, God. Uh, I pray that you would just be with them, Father. God, I pray that you would bring order and peace into the chaos and confusion that exists. And God, I pray that you would uh, use this situation, that you would use the circumstances to draw people closer to you, God, who may be far from you. And God, for those who don't know you, I pray that in the midst of this, that they will have things and people that will point them to you during this time. And I pray that uh, Texas recovers well, God. I pray that you would be with the authorities and the workers who are uh, volunteering in many cases to help people during this uh, unusual, very, very unusual uh, winter storm that they've had down there, a series of winter storms. And I pray your blessing on the whole situation. And God, may we remember them, God, in our prayers throughout this week. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you guys. Those of you who are here in the house, thank you guys for being here this morning. Thank you for those of you who are back on the backstage patio uh, braving the uh, cold weather this morning. Uh, I think we got about 10 people back there. So thank you guys. Why don't we give it up for them uh, this morning out there on the patio. We're glad that you guys are joining us. And those of you who are joining at home, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's give it up for those who are at home this morning watching online. Thank you guys. Enjoy your waffles while we're in here. All right, so glad that uh, you guys are uh, with us this morning. It was the uh, United States of America in year 1860 was probably in the midst of one of the most divided times in our, our country's history. Abraham Lincoln was running for president of the United States, and he had an uphill battle. As a politician, uh, he really had not done anything that uh, was of any note. He had been uh, a great lawyer, the prairie lawyer, as they called him. He wasn't supposed to win the presidency, but he did. November 6, 1860, he wins. And to many people's surprise, he gathers in his cabinet some of those people who opposed him most strongly throughout the election cycle and on issues that were of major concern to the United States of America and to our future. Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a book called Team of Rivals describing how Abraham Lincoln brought into his cabinet and into his inner circle some of those people that he would stand and debate against in the election. And he rocked the world, he shocked the world by bringing into his purview people who he had previously and continued to throughout his administration had sharp disagreements with. 
Most notably, one of his rivals, he faced Stephen Douglas in the general election along with a couple other candidates, but uh, most notably, William Seward, who he had gone against in the primaries, and Seward and he disagreed on so many different things. Also, a guy by the name of Salmon Chase. And he brought them into his inner circle because he wanted to see what they had to say. He wanted to hear what they had to say. He wanted to to view life from their perspective because he knew that he had a lot to learn and he knew how incredibly important it was for his country for him to see all sides of every issue that the United States was dealing with. And that's part of Abraham Lincoln's success in the midst of this tumultuous time is bringing people in, some of his most bitter rivals that he had sharp disagreements with. This week four of our series, as Stephanie talked about, called Different. And, and in this series so far, we've, we've kind of taken this journey of kind of, uh, kind of undoing or maybe deconstructing the way that we think about how we are different. In week one, we focused on our personal mission, and we said that God designed us to be different but not divided. In fact, we are called as a church that's part of our calling is to be unified. We're united when we use our uniquenesses to benefit the church. We're united when we use our uniquenesses to benefit the the kingdom of God. In week two, we focused not just on our personal mission, but on our personal message. And we said that we don't have to be right about everything, but we do have to be right about one thing. And we talked about the fact that uh, the overwhelming primary message of our lives, if we're Christ followers, is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And last week, we focused on our personal passion and that divisions are ultimately the result of a heart problem. And we talked about falling in love with Jesus once again. And today, we come to the last two weeks in this series, and today, I want to focus not on our personal mission and not on our personal message and on our personal passion, but I want us to focus on our personal plan when we have sharp disagreements with people in our lives and in the world. And today, I want our goal to be much more application-oriented, to seek out God's words for ways that we can live in community with other believers and to love people that, who are in the world who may not be believers How do we live in community with each other, and how do we love the world even when we disagree and disagree sharply? Now, the world is divided today. The world might be divided as sharply as it was in 1860. Can we agree on that? I don't have to give you any more examples of what that looks like. Just turn on the news. Just take a look at any news story, and you'll see it. We see it all over the place. We see it in our our families. We see it in our churches. We see it in our community, and we see it in our world. And I want to frame today, before we dive in, I want to talk about the fact that we do need to find ways to love each other when we disagree. We need to find ways to live in community with each other when we disagree. And I think that this applies to both the relationships that we have in the church, because let's face it, the church has not done a good job of showing the world how we can disagree and live in community with each other. But it also has to do with 
how we deal with those who are outside the church and how we can love. And I think this message applies to so many of our relationships in our homes, with our kids, with family members. It applies to each one of us in here, in this room, watching out on the backstage patio, watching online. And I want to begin by by making a statement that um, it's very kind of difficult for me to to make because I'm going to be honest with you, I I struggle um, with this. I I love how God does this. I'm just going to take a moment and get really honest with you for a second. I love how God does this because I message thinking, dude, this is my wheelhouse. And let me tell you something. If you're a pastor and you enter a message and you're like, this is my thing, this is like this is my sweet spot, this is my wheelhouse, I promise you, you will find out that it's not. <laughs> um, and I, as I was writing this message, and I prepared for it weeks ago, but I really fleshed it out this week, and as I was fleshing it out, I realized how much I need this message. And my application may look a lot different than yours, but I need this message because we all fall into this trap. And I want to make this statement right up the front to kind of, right at the front to kind of frame what we're talking about today. And that is, is that disagreements are unavoidable because of our differences. Disagreements are unavoidable because of our differences. If you haven't been a part of the last few weeks, go to the first message and and listen to that message because we describe how God made us to be unique and how we can benefit each other and benefit the church and benefit the world. But because we're different, we are going to have disagreements. And I hate that (laughs) because I'm the kind of person, I want everybody to just get along. I want it to be all all right. I don't want to see the disagreements. I don't want to engage in the disagreements. I don't want to fight. I don't want to argue, man. But disagreements are unavoidable because God has made us so incredibly different. And disagreeing is okay. There were disagreements in the Bible. Abraham argued with Lot over how to farm and what land was best, and how to go about it. And they had a sharp disagreement. Family members right there, they had sharp disagreements. Peter was challenging Paul in the New Testament, and, and, and Paul confronted him, and he basically said, man, you're acting like a hypocrite because you're calling a group of people to something that you're not willing to do yourself. We see the sharp disagreement that Paul had with Barnabas over Mark. And the fact is, is that they had to separate because of that. And I'm going to bring that back next week to talk about that relationship a little bit and talk about how there's a time and a place for us to agree to disagree and perhaps it's moving on. And that's going to be next week, be a part of next week to talk about that. Uh, I think that we can move on without dividing and be a part next week to talk about that. But we don't have to buy into, even though we do need to understand that we are going to have disagreements because we are different, we don't have to buy into this idea that just because we disagree that division is a foregone conclusion. 
See, that's where we take it one step too far is as we think that because we're different, we're going to have disagreements and that because the disagreements are so incredibly sharp that we have to be divided. We don't have to buy into the line of thinking that disagreements always divide. In fact, disagreements don't always have to divide us. They don't always have to divide us. Sometimes... The dividing or the separating of a relationship, the, 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 the working out of that relationship ends up in division and it may be forced upon you. Again, we'll talk a little bit about that next week. But disagreements don't always have to end in division. Disagreements are usually inevitable, but divisions are often a choice. We have divisions because more times than not, we've decided that we are going to be divided because of the disagreements that we have. And I wonder if the reason that we have this division that results from disagreements is because our human nature is to have the fight or flight reaction when we feel like we're in danger. And let's face it, when we come up on someone, if it's a loved one or if it's someone we don't know that well, but we have a sharp disagreement with, sometimes that sharp disagreement seems like it's danger. Am I right? It seems like it's in danger. That my position is in danger. That what I think is in danger. That the relationship might be in danger. That I might feel like I have to stand my ground so much that I'm going to hurt or harm the relationship that's in question. And so we have a fight or flight mentality. In fact, I even heard a more recent one by a psychologist. It's fight or flight or freeze mentality. And that fight or flight mentality is just human nature. Some of us have a propensity to, to fight when we have disagreements. Some of us have a tendency right here to fly and get out when we have disagreements. And then sometimes we're pushed so far that we do both. And the thing that I got incredibly convicted with this week is that Avoiding or flying away from a relationship just because you disagree is just as damaging and it's just as bad as the reaction to fight when we disagree. The fight or flight mentality is so ingrained in us that we feel like we have to have what we are going to say. And when we're thinking about what we are going to say, what are we not doing in that moment? We're not listening. I do it all the time. I'm sure I've done it to many of you, and I'm sorry. Because we have to stop talking and start listening. James, man, I love the book of James. He writes this message. It is so in your face. It's Speaking of confrontational, it is incredibly confrontational. And right out of the gates, in the 19th verse of his book, he writes this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And I let the enemy fall for it so many times. And I end up angry at the one 
that I have a disagreement with. And it's not honoring to them. It's not glorifying to God. And it's not helpful in the relationship. And James just says this. He says, let every person be quick to hear. Put your emphasis in listening rather than talking slow to speak and slow to anger. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Charles Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is a great preacher and um, just an amazing, amazing uh, pastor. And he writes about how he had a season in his life where things were coming at him fast and furious. And it was a busy season. And he sat down around the dinner table and he was argumentative with his family. And he was kind of, you know, yelling at his wife about something that she said and his daughter and kids. And it was kind of a tumultuous time in their house. And he says, I, I distinctly remember after supper one evening, the words of our youngest daughter, Colleen, she wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her at, at school that day. And she began hurriedly, daddy, I want to tell you something and I'll tell you really fast because I know you're in a hurry. And he says, suddenly realizing your frustration, I answered, honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to really tell me that fast. Say it slowly. And he says, I'll never forget her answer. She said, then hear me slowly. Hear me slowly. We do it all the time. I do it. I fail at this all the time. We are so intent on getting the words out about what we think is right about our stance and our position. We're not listening to the other person. So the first step that we need to take if we are going to be people who don't end up divided with each other and divided with the world is listen. Listen to the one that we disagree with. The second thing is to seek common ground. To seek common ground. I think sometimes we think in our minds we prejudge someone or we hear their position and it comes right out of the gates and all of a sudden we kind of surmise that maybe there's nothing about that issue that we agree with them on. We prejudge the issue, we prejudge them, and we prejudge the relationship when we do that. The story of Acts is the story of the first church. And there were a lot of amazing adventures that would make a great movie, by the way. The first church had so many different adventures. And there was a period of time in the life of the church where they were going from place to place and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus. And the Jewish people hated it. It was a threat to them because this Jesus guy was, you know, claiming he had claimed to be the son of God and they didn't believe it. And so they wanted to stand their ground. And they went into Thessalonica and in Thessalonica, and that a cool village, like you'd be like, hey, I'm from Thessalonica. It's kind of cool to say. It's a fun word to say. So anyway, they went into Thessalonica and they preached the gospel and the Jews rose up against him and they got the, the people to go into a guy named Jason's house and they, they pulled Jason out and pulled him into the street because he was a believer in Jesus and basically told him he had to explain what was going on and it was a nightmare. And then they went in from Thessalonica because I guess they didn't have enough adventure. They went into a place called Berea and they got to Berea and the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people of Berea had a little bit different response than in Thessalonica. Check this out from Acts 17 verses 10 and 11. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. 
And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, that was the gospel they were preaching, with eagerness. Now, now hang on just a second. We'll leave it on the screen. They didn't believe what the first church was preaching, but they received it with eagerness. And look at what it says next. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And in that moment, the Berean Jewish people, the Jewish people there in Berea, they are a great example of someone who has sharp disagreements with the one who's speaking, sharp different beliefs, but they pause for a moment, they look to the Word of God, and they also examine to see if what these people were saying was true. And church, if we want the world to be like the Jewish people in Berea, then we also have to play that part as well. We need to find common ground with those even that we may disagree with. We need to find where there's common ground. We need to find areas where we can say, you know what, I don't agree in these things, but you know what, I can understand what you're saying here, and, and we, you know, we may have to agree to disagree on this, but on this thing, I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. We have to be careful not to throw away the relationship or prejudge or preconclude that there's no point of agreement because we might find we have some common ground, even with those we have wildly sharp disagreements with. The third thing that we need to do has to do with compassion. We need to relate to each other with compassion. We need to relate to each other with compassion. And compassion is a word that's easily thrown around in the world, but it's not easily done in the world. It's easy to talk about, it's much more difficult to act with compassion because it takes a lot to act with compassion. And Jesus gave us the greatest example of compassion. And Matthew records what Jesus was doing before he gathered the 12 disciples together. And I want you to see this. It's one of, I think, the most critical verses in all of Scripture because everything about the spread of the gospel hinges on what Jesus was doing in Matthew chapter 9. It's at the end of chapter 9, and the beginning of chapter 10 is when he gathers these 12 disciples around this ragtag group of imperfect people who changed the world, and he gathers them around. But look what he's doing right before he calls the disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He says this, when he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now Jesus goes on to say that there's a great harvest and the laborers are few, and that's how he calls us 12. And it's the beginning of his, his ministry. And he goes, he's in Galilee, and he gathers all these fishermen and these guys together, and it's great. But I love the fact that before Jesus got to work reaching the people, he saw them. He saw them. 
I, the way I picture this is Jesus like walking on the hills or maybe the mountains of Jerusalem and looking over his city, kind of like we might see our city when we go in an airplane down below and we look down and we see the whole perspective. And I think he looked at the city and he remembered the people he came in contact with. And he remembered how much they hurt and how hungry they were. And how their relationships were being torn apart. And how the Roman government was coming in and imposing their will on the people. And he looked upon their needs, not with disdain, not with judgment, not with condemnation. But what did he do? He looked upon them with compassion. He had compassion for their situation. Church... I think we deserve to give each other a little more compassion than we currently do. I think we deserve to give the world a lot more compassion than we do. He had empathy. He related to their struggles and their need and their situation. By the way, empathy is not the same thing as sympathy. But what Jesus did more than sympathy and empathy is he related to them. That's how he had compassion. He stood in their shoes. That's how he related. He got to know them. He saw them. Sometimes I think that when we come up on someone we disagree with, whether it's someone close to us or someone that's out there, you know, beyond us, and we may have a different way of doing things or a different political view or a different view of whatever the situation is of, um, you know, our day. Um, so whatever that might be, I'm holding my mask there if you didn't know. Anyway, so, uh, sorry, I know that might hurt a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I think that sometimes what we do is we don't, See them and relate to their struggle. We just stand our ground. Jesus didn't stand his ground. The only people that he ever stood his ground with was the religious leaders who were hypocrites who were judgmental themselves. But as far as the people of Jerusalem, he viewed them as sheep without a shepherd. And he related to them. You see, we can be relatable and not violate our own values. We can be determined in what we believe and still treat others with dignity, church. And I fail at this as well. But the church needs to see us. The world needs to see us. Relate to people. To have determination in what we believe, but also dignity for the person and the relationship that we have. And step four is kindness. Engage with truth, grace, love, but overall, kindness. Kindness. Proverbs 15.1 says that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word turns, stirs up anger. Man, I'm embarrassed by the times that I have used harsh words 
with the people that I love the most, (laughs) with some of you from time to time, with friends, with people I disagree with politically and in this world. There have been times that I've used harsh words on a soft answer which show the kindness and the tenderness and the understanding and relatability that Jesus operated with. Paul instructs us, he says, rather speaking the truth in Ephesians 4.15, he says this, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speak the truth in love. And I want you to see in John, in the book of John, the gospel of John, right out of the gates in John chapter 1, when John is talking about Jesus, he describes him as the word. And he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we need to be as graceful as we are truthful. The problem is is that the church is not very often graceful. The world knows what we have disagreements with the world on. We sometimes know what we have disagreements on. We know the things that divide us. We know the disagreements. We know the tensions. We know those things that we are so wildly different on. And and we have to stand our ground. This fight or flight mentality enters our world and enters our mind. And it makes us scared. And we think that if we are friends with someone we disagree with sharply, that we are compromising. And that's the lie that we buy. See, we're not compromising our God-given values by being friends with someone who disagrees with us or has a different lifestyle than we do. You don't hear that much from the church, but y'all, that's exactly what Jesus did. Even in his selecting of those inner circle people that he did ministry with, he selected And he was friends with, and he loved even those people that he disagreed with. We talked about it last week. He he selected a tax collector as one of his inner circle. And church, we can choose. We can decide, just like Abraham Lincoln did. He decided that he would bring in people that he disagreed with because he wanted to see a different perspective. We can do the same thing. But we have to choose to make the decision. To work towards relating to others. We can have peaceful interactions with people despite our differences. Doris Kearns Goodwin, this lady that wrote many books on history and historical figures, an excellent author. She wrote this book, Team of Rivals, describing Abraham Lincoln's relationship with so many of the people that he disagreed with throughout his political career. And someone was interviewing her, and they said, why, did you, why were you so compelled to write this book? And by the way, I think it's about 700 pages. I have not read all of it, I promise you. Okay, it is one, It's not like a book that you get through in a weekend. It's exhaustive, but it's amazing. And she said, one of the reasons that I wrote this is because I began to read the letters that Abraham Lincoln sent to William Seward's family. 
he and his family, throughout their history. And there were over 5,000 letters between Abraham Lincoln and William Seward. And throughout those letters, the thing that she realized is how much they disagreed on certain issues, but how much love and respect and dignity they had for each other. What a great example. What a great, great example for us. Church, the world is watching. The world is watching. They already know what we're against. They know clearly because we've said it for decades what we disagree with them on. But the world is watching. What the world needs to see right now more than any other time in our history is they need to see how we love each other. And they need to see how we love the world. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you are right. Does it say that? <laughs> By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you win the argument. Does it say that? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what does it say? Love for one another. The world is watching church. The world is watching. What are we going to show them? Father, I was immensely, as you know, and then I've already talked and confessed to you, wildly convicted by a message that I thought was going to be in my sweet spot and easy and simple. And God, it is never simple for us to stand down, not compromise, but to stand down on our issue, our point of disagreement, and to stop, to listen. And to find common ground, to have compassion for each other and for the world. It's not easy. Relationships never are. And I admit that it is very, very easy to either fight or to take flight when we feel like we're in danger. God, I pray that you would allow us, your people, I would pray that you would allow me, God, your church, to find a different way, to relate to those that we have disagreements with, to understand their perspective, to find common ground, to make sure that they understand that we value each other. And even though we may have sharp disagreements, we can agree to disagree. We can do it in a way that honors you. God, we confess of those times that our relationships with people within the church and outside the church haven't honored you. God, I admit that. I confess that. We confess that to you. But God, help us. Help us to stand 
strong. Help us, Father, to stand, yes, on what we believe and what we value and what you tell us in your word, but help us, Father, to find a way to do that and at the same time stand in that other person's shoes. Understand maybe where they're coming from, why they think this. And Father, I pray that we would do all of this most of all for your glory so that the world when they look at us they don't see a bunch of people who are just fighting about every little thing but God they would see you and the fact that you came yes to tell the truth of course to tell the truth but it's grace and truth it's love and truth it's mercy and truth and father i pray that you would help us to be able to do that so that the world would see when they see the church when they see the christ follower when they see me god that they would go yes i want that i want that jesus god may we honor you in that help us when we fail help us when we struggle with this Guide us. Would your Holy Spirit guide us and lead us in this? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.